Don't we have blinders on when, when we're evaluating ourselves too? How many young women, though they buy into that marketing and that ploy, that their value is somehow based on how other people find them attractive? And they chase after the surface value of, of beauty and lose sight of what true beauty is, the, the inner beauty of the heart. How many young men don't grow up thinking that if they're successful and popular in sports and athletics and achievements, that then they'll be valuable? Or if they don't, they won't be valuable. Does God see value the same way that many are led to see value? No, God says, I don't look at the surface. I look at the heart. The following is from Rack of Ages Lutheran Church in Payson, Arizona. Reaching out with Rock Solid Hope in Rim Country. January 13th, 2019. 1 Samuel 16, 1-13. The team captains stood before the lineup, and one by one they called off their names, the people they wanted to have on their team. One calls out, I'll take Devante, as he points to the tallest guy there. And then the other one has his turn, so he says, I'll take Gus, as he points to the strongest and the fastest. And then comes the probably gut-wrenching feeling for the rest as slowly there's only a few left as people are selected pretty much on the basis of their speed, athletic ability, or perhaps their friendships or some other criteria. How does God go about choosing those who are in his team? Would he choose you? Can you be sure? Well, it's not what we might expect. See, God doesn't use the criteria like many go about in this world at the surface. No, the Lord, he chooses the unexpected. And this morning we see how he turns everything around in doing so. As we look at the word of our God this morning from 1 Samuel 16, we'll see how he does that. Before we begin, though, we need to really talk about something that might seem a little bit foreign or unfamiliar to us, and it's found in Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, and that's the, the concept of anointing. See, anointing, although it might seem unfamiliar, shouldn't be all that unfamiliar because the word comes up in its various forms over 500 times in your Bible. Uh, the idea of someone being anointed meant that they were selected, and it signified that they had been chosen to serve a particular purpose. So you see in the Bible, people are anointed, such as the prophet Elisha is anointed into his prophetic calling, signifying that God had called him to that office. And you see men like Aaron and all the priests that came after him anointed as they're starting off in the priesthood, that is their ordination. And likewise, when Israel started to have kings serving over the people, God chose to have them anointed by a prophet, signifying that he had chosen them to serve in that role. To be anointed in such a way meant that you were selected by God to serve God. And of these 500 times that the word comes up in its various forms in the Bible, most of the time it's pointing to that, that God has chosen someone. Well, God had chosen the man Saul, and the prophet Samuel had anointed him to be king, the first king over Israel. 
And yet Saul wavered. And Saul eventually turned against and rejected the Lord and the Lord's prophet. But there's Samuel, who had himself poured the oil over Saul's head. The pouring of the oil over the head was the the anointing, the pouring out that signified Saul was chosen. And Samuel was mourning, grieving the rejection of Saul, who was no longer going to be king. So the Lord comes to the prophet Samuel and says, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him as king over Israel. And God had another plan, a new one in mind, who he had also chosen to be king now. He said, Go. I'm sending you to Bethlehem, to the house of Jesse, and you're going to anoint one of his sons as king. Now at first, Samuel's pretty upset and afraid because the last time he spoke to Saul, he had told Saul God rejected him as king. And it wasn't beyond Saul to do something like kill a man who was going to anoint another king if Saul heard about it. Saul was a man who even had ordered his own son to be killed. But the Lord directed Samuel and said, Go to Bethlehem, even though he would pass right through Saul's headquarters, but go to offer sacrifice, as was his usual practice. And as you do, I will indicate the one you are to anoint. So Samuel arrives at the small town of Bethlehem. The townspeople are initially alarmed because these are stressful times in Israel. They don't know why he's there. But he says, I come in peace. I've come to offer sacrifice. And he invites the family of Jesse to come and prepare for the sacrifice. He has them consecrated, which means they they washed and they put on clean clothes and were ready to participate in that offering up of that sacrifice. Only, as he offered the sacrifice, Samuel was going to also bring a surprise. One of those sons would be chosen, anointed by God. Well, at first, when Eliab comes, he's evidently impressive in appearance. Samuel thinks to himself, now there, there before me stands the next king of Israel. But the Lord says, don't think on what man thinks on, what people look at, the outward appearance. For I have rejected him. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Isn't it often that we fall to the same mindset, that we merely look at outward things when making our decisions and our judgments? People can end up making a a judgment on someone else based off of their age or their attire or their financial standing or even their, their gender or even sometimes their race. And in doing so, they can make horrible misjudgments because they can only look at the surface of things and so misjudge people and totally have blinders on. We look at the surface and we make pretty awful mistakes, actually. That's the way that the world works. We see someone who's maybe a good speaker and can make a persuasive argument and we elect them to leadership positions in the world. And aren't we often surprised when the character of their heart comes out and we see who they really are? Or someone might choose a spiritual leader based off of their charisma, their personality, or their age, or how clean-shaven they are. And they might later 
unfortunately, be surprised when they learn the character of their heart because they've made a poor decision. Don't we have blinders on when, when we're evaluating ourselves, too? How many young women are told by the, the ploys of marketing that their value is somehow based on how other people find them attractive? And so they buy into that marketing and that ploy, and they chase after the surface value of, of beauty and lose sight of what true beauty is, the, the inner beauty of the heart. And how many of them don't lament as they get older, as somehow that beauty, that outward beauty begins to fade? And how many young men don't grow up thinking that if they're successful and popular in sports and athletics and achievements, that then they'll be valuable? Or if they don't, they won't be valuable. And how many of them grow up thinking pursuing wealth and pursuing fame will somehow make them more important? Does it? Does God see value the same way that many are led to see value? No, God says, I don't look at the surface. I look at the heart. God writes in his word, the wisdom of God, as he says, and shows us how he looks deeper than the surface when he reveals, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a woman who shows no discretion. And do you see a man who is thinks he is wise in his own eyes, there's more hope for a fool than for him. God doesn't care about the surface. God saw Eliab and God said, I have rejected him. God saw those cleanly dressed, freshly bathed children of Jesse and one after another, God rejects them. I don't look at the surface, God says. I look deeper, I look at the heart. And shouldn't that worry us? After all, when, when God is selecting those who would be in his kingdom and, and who would serve him, how would we measure up? Sure, maybe we might at times think we're clean on the surface, but God looks at the, the secret, hidden desires and thoughts of the heart. And God sees every time where we put something and said, I want that more than him. And God recognizes those secret sins of the heart that others don't see. Would God choose you? Were he to evaluate you deeper than the surface? How can we be sure that, that God would make us his own? Ought not God to see every mistake, every fault, and look at us and say, no, I, I see what's in the heart by nature, and not say to us also, I rejected him. Not we not to remain rejected by God, not serving on his team and in his kingdom, but with the devil and the enemies of God for every sinful thought, every rebellion, and every failure. But God does the unexpected. That's what we see in 1 Samuel 16. As the prophet saw all these sons, he had to ask, do you have any more? There was yet another, one so insignificant, his father didn't even think to invite him to the event. One who doesn't even get mentioned by name. I'm, I'm sure Jesse loved him, but Jesse just says, oh yeah, there's the littlest one. And he's off shepherding the flock. Can't you imagine Samuel at that point thinking, how fitting. The one who is off alone serving and shepherding is the one God has chosen to shepherd his people. Samuel says, Bring him at once, we will not rest till he comes. David comes in. 
And yes, he, he did have a young kingly appearance, but God saw even more than that. The Lord told Samuel, rise and anoint him. David received oil as the prophet came and poured it over his head and the oil overflowed. I'm sure his brothers were wondering, what does this mean? And David himself, it seems, wasn't even quite sure what this meant other than God had chosen him for a special purpose. That's how God operates. God chooses the least expected. Did we see that this morning when we read about the anointing which Jesus received? Jesus of Nazareth, by all means a very ordinary man, had done nothing up to this point that was too unusual. He had done no preaching. He had done no miracles. In fact, when the crowd was around him, they all saw John the Baptist and they said, now this must be the Messiah, a powerful speaker. And so John even had to say, I'm, I'm not the Messiah, which is the Hebrew word for the anointed one. From it we have the Greek word, the Christ, the anointed one. But there comes Jesus walking by the Jordan, unrecognized as an ordinary man, probably the least expected to be the chosen one. But Jesus was baptized by John, and after when he was praying, it says, the heavens were opened, the Holy Spirit came down on him in what looked like a dove, and a voice spoke, the Father declares, this is my Son, the one who I love. And looking at his very heart, the Father could say, with him I am well pleased. God had chosen Jesus of Nazareth to be the chosen one, whom every anointing pointed forward to. Jesus was anointed by God as Peter declares in Acts 10, he was anointed by God at his baptism by the Holy Spirit and with power. And Jesus, the anointed one, was set by God, chosen to serve as our prophet, our priest, and our king. As our prophet, the anointed son of God said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Jesus proclaimed, I'm the chosen one. And as the chosen one carried about his work, he was our king who came to fight our battles for us, to deliver us from every pain and evil, to take us from the kingdom of the devil and sin and death and the grave to the kingdom of God. And to do this, to fight our battle for us, our king who served us was anointed also to be our priest. And the sacrifice this priest would offer up would be his own perfect, holy heart, the heart of God. And as Jesus, our perfect high priest, offered up that sacrifice of himself in his life, our king, our prophet, our priest, our Christ, he was chosen to carry out the perfect rescue for his people. So what about you? Would God choose you? Remember, God chooses the unexpected. David was chosen not because of anything David had done and despite the sin David would later commit, but chosen in grace. And through faith, God called him to faith and to holiness and a new life and a new purpose. And so it is with you and I. God, it says in the scripture, has anointed you in your baptism. The apostle Paul reminds us and speaks of the anointing that the people God has re have received. He says, you have an anointing from the Holy One. 
It is God who makes us both. You and I stand firm in Christ. He anointed us and set his ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. God chooses the least expected. You and I are chosen in grace, chosen to be God's dearly loved. And as God looks at us, he's made us to be his own. Would he choose you when he sees the heart? Well, the scriptures say, if you can't imagine that God would choose you, stop looking at the outward appearance. See what God sees. You're judging by outward appearances. If anyone is confident they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. That was said by a man who by all outward appearances was a murderer, the Apostle Paul, a man who had killed many lives. See, God sees more than outward appearances. What does he see? Paul says, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. John says, we have an anointing from the Holy God. God's holiness, the holiness of his son is what he sees in you because he's chosen you. And in your baptism, God chose you, poured out his Holy Spirit on your hearts that those who trust in him, you would receive the righteousness of Christ, the chosen one. And the scriptures say, all who believe and are baptized will be saved. He's brought you into his kingdom. Could you have expected that God would ever call on sinners to make them his own? He did. And that's what we are. In your baptism, God made you his own. And just as he called David to service in his kingdom, through Christ, you have been anointed to be God's own and to now live for him in your life. See how God chooses the least expected. Amen. Amen.